Hello and welcome to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. We are here to root deep in God's words so that we can live lives of unshakable faith. My name is Ben Jacobson. I am one of the pastors here at Hope Lutheran Church in Fargo, North Dakota. I am joined today by Pastor Stephen Dunkel. Hello! Welcome to Deeply Rooted. Boy, they're really excited that you're here. Oh, and then they just abruptly stopped. They're listening intently. Yes, they, they are. are they ready. Knew, they knew that for it deeply was rooted. Time. That's why they're here. That's why we're here. We are now in the New Testament. We're Woo-hoo. in the go- Mark's Gospel, and we are reading chapter two today. Before we get into it, there's some talk of a, a wedding in that uh, in that chapter. Stephen, what is your favorite part of a wedding? As pastors, we spend time at weddings. My favorite part of a wedding. Mm-hmm. You know, it's probably the moment that either the bride or the groom breaks. They've been holding back the tears. There's this emotional, you know, uh, you know, energy in the room that's just mm-hmm. thick. And then all of a sudden they just they just let the tear roll. It's that moment. Mm-hmm. As they're staring into their beloved's eyes and and before that moment, you know, they're they're not even smiling because they're just trying to hold it back. And then after that, just the emotion. They are emotional times. Yeah. They are important. You know, I think for me, I should say as a pastor, my favorite is, you know, the moment where everybody prays for that new couple. And Mm -hmm. that's a powerful moment um, that I've always loved. I love that at our own wedding um, because we actually had people come and gather around us and lay hands and pray. And But... I also think there's a tie for that moment now that I have a three-year-old son. Watching him dance at a wedding yes, is very exciting. So there's lots of good stuff about weddings. And we're going to hear about weddings uh, just a little bit. This is not going to be all about weddings, but we'll hear a little bit about weddings. But we have a bridegroom. We do have a bridegroom. So we're going to read from Mark, the second chapter. We'll begin with the first verse. A few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum. The people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat, the man that was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. 
A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating and the sinners and tax collector, with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have them with him. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on a garment. Otherwise... The new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. And they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered in the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he gave some also to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Okay, as we look, as we read this, what stands out to you and what questions do you have? Yeah, first I see three scenes. We could break it into more, but I like the number three because it sticks in my mind is we have the scene with the paralyzed man, which Mm -hmm. is such a vivid scene. I can just see this roof crumbling apart and the thatch and the dirt falling on Jesus as he's teaching because these friends are lowering him by four ropes. And, you know, trying to get those four ropes even, I'm sure, was just absolute chaos. So this man is just flopping around, descending down before Jesus. And then you've got the second scene, and you have Levi, a.k.a. Matthew, the writer of the gospel, and he's being called to follow Jesus, and yet he's this tax collector, and so everyone just absolutely despises him, and Jesus is eating with him and the other tax collectors, and you can see everyone just you know snickering out in the streets, looking up at this home, and then you've got this final act here where Jesus is eating in ways that others would expect aren't okay, and he says, well, I'm the bridegroom, so I... 
my disciples, they're not going to fast. They're going to feast. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So my disciples, they're going to pick heads of grain and eat on the Sabbath. Jesus is setting himself up as this celebratory figure that changes the game. And so you've got these three scenes and they're all just fun, to be honest. There's just so much drama and tension and characters Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, vivid sights and smells. I think it'll be really fun to unpack. That's one of the things we noticed last time, just as we started reading the Gospel of Mark, just how fast it kind of clips along and how these scenes, they're super short, but they just kind of make your head spin when you start to think about what's going on here. What is all these interactions with people are just super interesting. So I have this image in my mind. How many times in Sunday school when I was growing up did I read or hear that story of the the friends lowering the paralytic? And it seemed like in every image you'd have the mat and the hole that they had dug out was always exactly the same shape as the <laughs> mat. And so they like, they took, the, they made this like perfect uh, mat shaped hole in the roof, which I think probably would have been close to impossible because the roof would have been made of like just, well, you said thatch. And I think that's the image that I have is this material just sort of piled on there, obviously strong enough for them to get up there and walk. But they, it wasn't coming up. It wasn't like they removed 17 bricks, which, by the way, if you removed 17 bricks, you wouldn't be able to fit a mat unless the mat was not perfectly rectangle, right? Or they were really big bricks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I suppose if they were all sideways, mm-hmm. 17 long, yep. then you could. Interesting. Each brick is like, you know, two feet by four inches, <laughs> and you just go. <laughs> How many bricks? There's a, yeah, there's a formula. But they were bricks, probably. No. So anyway, it, that doesn't matter, the brick formula. But I just, I always have that image of like, and then like, so the 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 rectangle opens above Jesus, and then all of a sudden the mat like blurs out the sun, and it comes down. But the scene is very vivid. I right? love it. So let's start there. Uh, what is going on here? Well, we have this huge gathering, and we know why. Jesus had this really busy day uh, leading up to all of this. And uh, he has this you know, absolutely packed day, you know, up late. So what does he do? He sleeps in? No, he gets up very early in the morning to go pray. And there's this huge line outside. Everyone wants to see Jesus. So what does he do? He says, let's go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just imagine, you know, there's, you know, some father who's got, you know, his little girl around his shoulders. They've been in that line. You know, one of her, uh, you know, one of her legs is um, her feet shriveled up. You know, she can't walk. And he's just, you know, just waiting for Jesus Mm -hmm. and never sees him because Jesus says, let's go somewhere else to a nearby village. He heals this leper and says, don't tell anyone. And we talked about the Messianic secret last week. You and Pastor Steph did. That was super fun to explore. And yet they don't listen. And so by the time that he shows up at Capernaum, it's just packed. So packed that, you know, he's in this this house and there's no way everyone can fit in this house. Says the whole town's there, which is probably, you know, a bit of, you know, hyperbole, you know, in, in idiom, you know, probably not everyone is there, but it's it's basically everyone. Right. It's like when you come home from the f- high school football game and you're like, the whole town was there. Exactly. Was yeah. They're not all in the living room of this home. Right. You know, he 
is, you know, projecting out in the streets. Everyone's gathered around. And, I mean, you can hear a pin drop fall because everyone is just straining to hear the words of Jesus. Now, you know, this is, you know, pre-microphone days. He's a traveling preacher. I'm sure he's got pipes. Yeah, he must. I'm sure he can bring it, but still. I mean, it's got to be hard to hear when you are row 26 of the whole town gathered around this house, and you're not even inside. No, you're in the landscaping. And so when these figures are dragging their paralyzed friends, allegedly, you know, through the crowd, you know, the outskirts, and then up the back of the house, there are stairways in the back of most of these homes. They treated the roofs kind of like patios. Mm. They were strong enough because you'd have, you know, support beams, and then you'd have the thatch, then you'd have the mud. And so, you know, they're climbing up here onto this roof. And if you're back there in row 26, straining to hear Jesus talk from inside that house, you've got people clamoring up onto the roof, dragging their buddy who's probably, you know, getting bumped and bruised along the stairs and maybe letting out a little shriek of pain. They're dragging their buddy. They're dragging their buddy. And everyone is probably just looking at them with, you know, just rage in their eyes. I'm trying to listen to Jesus. Mm. Who are you? We're in line. Causing a scene. Yeah. You know, distracting me from, you know, these words that I can barely hear anyway. And then they start digging through the roof. Yeah. An act of vandalism. Yeah. So they bring the guy down, and uh, and it says that Jesus saw their faith, and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. That seems to be quite important. What does it mean that Jesus saw their faith? Yeah. So, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, when I think of the word faith today, I don't you know, often think of the word faithfulness right away. We've got these two English words, faith and faithfulness. And, you know, faith is often used in, you know, modern English, I, you know, for things that we think. Mm-hmm. And then faithfulness is used for things that we do. Mm-hmm. But in the scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the words for faith and faithfulness is just one word behind it. In Hebrew, it's emunah, and you can translate it either way. And in Greek, which is where we are here, it's pistis. Like if you go to Casey's General Store and you get those huge iced teas that are called peace teas, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like that. And they're 23 ounces in a can and just, you know, probably way too much sugar and caffeine. But, uh, you know, they're, they're peachy, you know, peachy goodness and... So this peach, not peach, peace tea, peace, peace tea. teas, there yep. we go, peace teas. This is the Greek word. Uh, so hopefully that helps you remember, uh, you know, listener, as you think through, what's the Greek word behind faith or faithfulness? Well, it's peace teas, and it means both. And so there's this idea that what we think and what we do are inseparable. Hmm. And so Jesus, he can see their faith by what they do. He can see them dragging their friend up those back stairs. He can see them starting to dig through the roof. And say, well, how could he see that? Because he's inside. But, you know, we see soon that he, he can know the thoughts of the Pharisees before they speak. We have to remember that Jesus 
is God. Mm-hmm. And so he sees their faith. He sees their faithfulness to their friend mixed with, combined with their belief that Jesus can heal their friend. And so he says, what? Son, your, son. your legs are healed. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> what? He doesn't say that. What? That's what they're expecting, I would imagine. That's why they showed That's why they woke up early in the morning. That's why they got in line. That's why they said, we can't wait any longer. That's why they tore the roof apart. Right? Yeah. Son, your legs are healed. But that's not what he says. He says, Son, your sins are forgiven. He can't say that. Well, the Pharisees don't think he can. They say he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And now... You know, I I think this is kind of fun because if you think about forgiving sins or saying, you know, God forgives your sins, I could say that to anyone. And how would they know whether or not it happened? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. But if I say, son, your legs are healed, he's going to know, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I wonder, you know, a little bit, I mean, you've talked before about naturalism and supernaturalism you know that there's a little bit of of that play in there and how do you define those two words so i would say naturalism is this sort of understanding that the world works in the ways that we expect it to and understand that that it's what we see and what we experience and know and we we have these boundaries of how we believe the world works supernaturalism is sort of the reaching in of God into that box that we have created and doing something that is not possible within the bounds of our natural view of the world. So a paralyzed man can't get up and walk. Correct. But he does. So what does that mean? Well, we have to get out of our box of naturalism and into this supernaturalism that there is a creator that interacts with his mm-hmm. creation. Mm-hmm. And what would we call that when that happens? That w- we would call that a miracle. A right? miracle. Jesus has been performing miracles as he works his way uh, up to this point. He's pre- performing miracles here. This is a miracle. Um, and I think it makes sense for us to just pause and, and talk about miracles for, we could talk about miracles forever, um, probably. But what, what, what's important about the miracles of Jesus and why does that matter for me? Especially in a world where most people are probably really skeptical of a miracle. I think we can all, well, not, maybe it's not easy for all of us to say, well, yeah, Jesus did that miracle then somewhere else in a different time in a different place. So that's probably not an easy leap for everyone. But um, I think a lot of even Christian people would make the distinction of, well, that miracle happened then there, but it doesn't happen anymore. How often do we see someone get up and walk? And yet... Every time we gather for worship, we hear the words in one way or another 
that our sins are forgiven. Jesus says, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I tell you, take your mat and go home. So he says that there are two miracles that are going to happen here today. Mm -hmm. That this paralyzed man is going to leave forgiven and right before God. That his sins are going to be removed as far as the east is from the west. There's going to be a transformation in his soul. And yet we can't touch and see and hear that. Mm -hmm. But we can touch and see and hear Take up your mat and walk. Mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis, he has this definition for miracles. He says, I use the word miracle to mean an interference with nature by supernatural power. And I wonder if we experience miracles all the time that we experience God interfering with nature on our behalf all the time. Mm -hmm. But like, son, your sins are forgiven. We can't see it. And so we fail to recognize it. Yeah, I think that's certainly true. If our eyes are not open to look for it, we can never name or claim it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder, well, it's, so miracles it makes me wonder about a couple of things when we start talking about miracles. And the first is I love the, the distinction that you made that there are actually two miracles here, him walking, but also probably more important is his sins are forgiven. That's a miracle that we all experience all the time when we come asking for it. Um, the second thing is, what do we do about if we believe that God does reach in and does perform miracles, what do we do when we experience the opposite in our lives? And I don't know that I have a great answer to that. Yeah, it's interesting here because throughout the Gospels, Jesus does what John in his gospel will call signs mm -hmm. and wonders. Mm -hmm. So these aren't simply miracle for miracle's sake. Mm -hmm. This isn't a show. Jesus isn't simply a wonder worker, but these are signs pointing to something. Mm -hmm. And so here, these signs, these wonders, they're pointing to who Jesus is and the message that he brings. I know in my own life, I've prayed for healing many times, you know, whether, you know, I'm sick or, you know, a loved one is or injured or these sort of things. And rarely does it play out like I see in the Gospels. Right. And yet, I've had these experiences where I've gone on mission trips, especially, so I remember I was in college and I'm walking through campus one day and I've um, got a really bad headache. Mm -hmm. And I prayed you know, God, you could take away this headache right now if, if you're willing. And I just remember it just went away 
in a moment. It just melted away. And I think that set me up for something. The timing was specific because it was right before spring break. We went on a mission trip to Mexico, and we were doing street evangelism. We had this uh, play that we performed, and there were people from a local church that would preach, and we'd go out and we'd share gospel tracts and uh, communicate with the people there. And I remember praying with this man who he had a shriveled eye, mm-hmm. and we, we prayed for him to be healed. Mm-hmm. And it went from cloudy and partially closed to clear and open. And it was so visual. It was so tangible. It was so unexpected. I remember we prayed for a man on that trip also who was just absolutely drunk out of his mind. And we, we wanted to, to share the love of Jesus with him, but you know, we, we knew he wouldn't remember a word of what we said. So we prayed that God would sober him up. Mm-hmm. And it, he just shot straight up, like, uh, you know, just, just sitting with this, uh, this clear posture and all of a sudden was alert and he's looking back and forth like, what happened? And we mm-hmm. had this conversation with him. And I think, why don't I see that in my day-to-day life? I say, well, maybe it's because in my day-to-day life I'm not doing things that require signs and wonders demonstrating the power of God. Maybe I'm, I'm not living on mission on my day-to-day in the same way that I was living on mission in those moments. Or... Maybe God knew what those men needed in those times. And when I'm praying for, you know, my son who has a cold, mm-hmm. that God has um, another way forward to make his goodness known in our family. So I think it really comes down to two things. One, the mystery of God, mm-hmm. <laughs> and leave it at that. And so maybe there shouldn't even be a second um, you know, but a second being the kingdom of God, um, is that God advances his kingdom through signs and wonders. Which point to the ultimate miracle, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And all of these are glimpses of that. And so, maybe we won't experience some miraculous healing in this life. Maybe we will see the effects of sin and death all around us. Maybe it will put us in a place where we just feel tragically alone. And I think then what we do is is we return to these miracles, not to say, oh, why didn't it happen this way for me? If we need to sit there for a while, I think that's probably a good thing but even more to, to finish the story and to see that God sits on the throne when he is raised. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, then we are brought into that miracle by faith. And, um, and so ultimately where all this is leading is, is to one big miracle for everybody who's ready to participate in that by, by claiming it for themselves. And that is already foreshadowed in Mark 1.1, the beginning of the good news. Or you could translate that word, gospel, this is the word. You could translate that word, the victory of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And we see that victory play out. You know, I don't think we need to unpack the other stories here, the other scenes at the same length, but just to see just some echoes of what we see with Jesus and the paralyzed man. 
is, you know, sometimes we think, oh, you know, he was healed because, um, you know, there was something special about him. Um, you know, maybe he was especially righteous, but, you know, that's not for me. Well, the very next story, Jesus, he calls Levi, who is this tax collector. And I don't know if you love tax collectors in your life, but, you know, paying taxes is, you know, is part of life, two certainties, death and taxes. Um, But in Jesus' day and age, under Roman occupation here in Galilee, the way that tax collectors made their money is by extorting people, Mm -hmm. saying that you owe 12 when you owe 10. You give 10 to the Romans and you keep the extra two for yourself. They were crooks. Mm -hmm. And not only were they crooks, but they were traitors because these were people who grew up in Jewish homes. He's the son of Alphaeus. But here he has decided to go work for the Romans, extorting his fellow Jews to make himself rich. And Jesus says to him, follow me. He says to him, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And then you've got these two stories about the Pharisees, and they're saying, your disciples aren't fasting. John's disciples fasted. Why aren't your disciples fasting? And he says, because they're with the bridegroom. And then, you know, they're picking on the disciples because they're eating heads of grain off, you know, on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to pick grain on the Sabbath. And he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And, you know, I think this all comes down again to, you know, that drink that we pick up at Casey's. (laughs) Peace tea. That peace teas. Yeah, the peace teas is this idea of faith. And faithfulness, this one idea that it's not where you've been, but it's where you're going. That it's that command to come, follow me. Levi wasn't a disciple, Levi Matthew. He wasn't a disciple because he believed that Jesus' words were true. Mm -hmm. He was a disciple because he followed Jesus. The disciples, they get to feast (laughs) Because they are with Jesus. The paralyzed man, his sins are forgiven. And he can get up and walk because he had been with Jesus. And so there's this moving from the head to the heart to the hands of faith and faithfulness tied together, living in this way of believing that Jesus can do miracles in and through our lives. Some that we might be able to see, take it up your mat and walk. Some that we might not be able to see, your sins are forgiven, but God is interfering with nature. He's crashing in. Heaven is coming to earth. And as we walk through the Gospel of Mark, I think we're going to see more and more miracles. What do you think? I think we will. And I think we're going to start chapter three with one next week. So, folks, it's so good to have you with us as we journey through the story of Scripture through this podcast. Don't forget to like and to share and to bring more folks into uh, the story of God. If you want to know more about Hope Lutheran Church, visit us on our website at fargohope.org. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, stay deeply rooted.